Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Good advice. You know, we heard of Jackie Robinson, but I mean, how many of us? Okay, show of hand. How many have heard of Pee Wee Reese? Okay. Wow. I mean, I heard of Pee Wee Herman, but I never heard of Pee Wee Reese. I was like, who is this guy? But yeah, first service, I was kind of shocked. Like, wow, people heard of this guy. But you know, what a what a great little reminder. You're Jackie Robinson in the Hall of Fame and, and just the player that he went on to be. But to know that he was at such a low point in that starting that game, in the middle of the game. And you know how when someone says something discouraging, how it can really rock your psyche. It can, it can rock your performance. And that happens. And, you know, when I think of that, I realize how powerful words are. Words that hurt or words that heal. Words that infuse us with courage or words that discourage us. So when I, when I look at our text, I want to remind all of us that God is a God of encouragement. Is that right? God wants to, when we fall, God's want to pick us up, dust us up, and say, come on, you can do this. We're going to keep going. He is a God of encouragement. He is always there to encourage us. And he says, though a just man, justified before God, man or woman, though they fall seven times, yet they'll get up. He said, here's the good news. The good news is that you're, is not that you're not going to fall. You and I are going to fall. Sometimes we're smacking our face. But the good news is we have a God who's ready to pick us back up. Amen? And get us back at our feet. And he even said seven times. That's the divine number of completion. He says, Dan, you complete. You fall, you fall, you fall, you fall, you fall. He says, that's right. Get back up. Get back up. Get back up. That's our God. He is a God of encouragement. We've been working through this text in Acts chapter 28. And in this text, we saw that they were on the island of Malta and they being Paul and Luke, Aristarchus, our believers, but also the Roman soldiers and sailors got shipwrecked on this island. We saw they leave the island, and before they left, the islanders provided for it. And the word meant, remember that word means to laden upon, to, to load up a pack mule. In other words, they put so much on them. They took care of them for three months already. Then they loaded them up with all this stuff to go on their trip. And it was God showing his grace of generosity through these people. Remember, this is a principle. It will help you in every area of your life. If God can get it through you, God will get it what? To you. If God can't get it through you, what's the use in getting it to you? Right? Because God is all about building his kingdom, not my kingdom, not your kingdom. Now, he'll take care of our needs. He helps us. He gives us our daily bread. But he goes, listen, I want you to be part of my kingdom program. So that means if I can get it through you, I'll get it to you. And so his grace of generosity. Our God is a generous God, is he not? Yeah, wow. Like all the riches of glory he's given to you. I mean, that's that's pretty, all the riches. I mean, what is it? What are all the riches? You know, it's not gold. We think, oh, that gold. They paved the streets with that. That's paving material, right? They paved it because that's just gold. Here's all my gold. Oh, good. More paving material. It's not jewels. He goes, oh, yeah, I use a, the pearl. Yeah, I, I use those for gates. I got huge pearls up here. He goes, that, all the riches of glory, all, what are they? The God who owns all the universe says, listen, in Christ you are the heir. You are the heir of all that God has, and God has it all. Amen? And so our God's a generous God. He goes, hey, it's, it's yours. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you. I'm going to bless you. I am a gracious, generous God, but I want to know, can I get it through you? Because if I can get it through you, I will get it to you. Generosity. His grace is generous. We also learned the grace of hospitality. Remember that in chapter 14. They then left. They landed at, at the isle, or the seaport, of Puteoli. Remember, remember that word Puteoli? I've been mastering it all week. P-U-T-E-O-L-I. Puteoli. The problem's this. 
Once I really got it mastered, I realized that even the Italians knew it was a tough name to say. So they changed the name of the city to Naples. We could say Naples, can't we? It's like, why didn't they just call it Naples in the beginning? And Puteoli. Anyways, so if you're looking on a map for Puteoli, there is a little teeny village that still bears the name, but it's a village of Naples. Now, in Italian, it's Napoli is how they pronounce it. So here they are in the, the imperial seaport, 100,000 people. And remember, God wants to help them. God wants to help them and provide a place for them to stay. So God, who is a God of hospitality, remember Webster's definition, friendly, welcoming, warm to guests, visitors, and strangers. Webster's definition. Friendly, warm, welcoming to guests, visitors, strangers. Our God is a God of hospitality. He invites whosoever will may come. And so God wants to show his hospitality to Paul, Luke, Aristarchus. And so he used these believers to go through them. He got his hospitality to them because he knew he could get it through them. And they invited them to come stay at their house. And by the way, I wanted to mention a little, uh, it's not a disclaimer. It's just a, a note to make a mental note for yourself. God is a God of hospitality. That is his nature, to be hospitable, to be friendly, to warm, welcoming, whosoever will may come. That is our God's nature. You and I may say, well, that's not my nature. I'm really not an outgoing person. I'm not that extrovert. I'm not the one to initiate that conversation. I'm a little more uh, reserved. Well, that's all right. Because God is not asking you and I to do His work by our nature. He wants us to do it by His nature. It is not natural for you maybe to be warm, welcoming, and friendly, all the fuzzy stuff. Maybe that's not natural. That's okay. It can be supernatural. Amen? If it didn't have to be supernatural, we wouldn't need God, and God would just say, be this. God says, you can't be this, but I can be this through you. My question is, are you willing to let God get it to you so he can get it through you? Or you say, no, I'm not going to, no, not that hospitality stuff, not through me. Not that generosity stuff, no, not through me. Or are you willing to say, here I am, Lord. If you could use me, I will, and I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know the words, but I'm willing to do it. If you can get it through me, Lord, give it to me. And that holds true to the third grace we're talking about that we see in our text. It is the grace of encouragement. Because our God is an encouraging God. He wants us to be encouraging as well. Just look at these two verses. Chapter 28, verse 14 and 15. They were, on, they were at Naples, where we found, remember, to come across inadvertently, where we found brethren and were invited. There's our hospitality to stay with them, not for a night, but for seven days. So we went towards Rome. And from there, there the antecedent to there goes back to Rome, not Naples, but from Rome. It says, from there, when the brethren, that's more than one believer, and by the way, it's generic, so men and women, when the believers heard, about us. Notice it says us. That means Luke who is writing, the author. Luke is writing. Luke includes himself. It's Luke, Paul, Aristarchus is also with them as a believer. When they heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Epiphorum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God. When we look at our text here, the first thing I want to point out is the call to action. You see, when you look at the text, it tells us that they were in Naples. They were in Puteoli. And then they were heading to Rome. And it says that the brethren in Rome heard about us. It says they came to meet us. And where did they meet them? They met them in three inns, the town of three inns. It is 55 miles away from Rome. Therefore, it's 95 miles away from Naples. Now, first I want you to do the math here. And I've done the math. We won't do all the math. I already did the math. If you're walking three miles an hour versus four miles an hour versus, you know, if you're walking with a cane or a limp or a wheelchair. I went through all that stuff. 
This is what I know. No matter how you slice it, there were mountains in the way. No matter how you slice it, it wasn't an easy journey. No matter how you slice it, it's still 55 miles that they walked to intersect Paul, to go down and meet him. And the amazing thing to me is that they were in Naples, in Putioli. They were there for seven days. Remember that? Well, almost seven days. They were there a week. After that week, during that week, message got all the way to Rome that Paul and Luke, Aristarchus, these guys are here. So the word had to get 150 miles of Rome. They had to hear it whatever day that they heard it. And then they traveled 155 miles to intersect them. So time has gone by. Isn't, by the way, isn't it amazing how fast news travels? When they hit Naples, they heard about it 150 miles away. Who knows how long it took to get there, but they heard Paul and Luke and Aristarchus are down there in Naples. That would be like us sitting here, and you heard somebody was down in Lexington. But the thing is, you didn't have a text at that time. You didn't have a phone call at that time. You had no way other than word of mouth. Word of mouth. Word of mouth traveled 150 miles in one week. And it only took that long because it was good news. It would have been there by Wednesday if it was bad news. <laughs> They're like, well, yeah, I heard that news. And so they say news travels fast. Bad news travels faster, doesn't it? Well, to them it was good news. 150 miles. This was a call to action. This is what I want you to see in our text. I don't want you to see what you're looking at. I want you to see what's behind the scenes, what's taken place that we often skip over and miss. You see, God wanted these unnamed believers, and we have no idea who they are. The scripture is full of thousands and thousands of unnamed believers that do amazing things. These are some. He used these unnamed believers to bless and encourage Paul. That's why verse 15, at the end of this verse, Paul thanks God when he saw them. When Paul sees them, he will thank God. Why is Paul thanking God? Why doesn't he just thank them? Because Paul knew that behind the scenes it was God that got word to them. It was God that called them to come down. It was God that moved them to intersect Paul there at three ends. Paul knew this isn't just a man thing here. This is a God thing here. Paul saw God pouring out his grace because God could get it through them. God got it to them. And so when I look at this, I realize this is the call of God. And oftentimes we miss the fact that God sends out a call to action. You and I encounter many calls. There's obviously military calls. Uncle Sam calls us up. There are community calls. There are church calls. Uh, there are political calls that go forth. But we forget that there is a call that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And it comes to every and every, each and every believer. God speaks to us and God calls us. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest field. That says God is in the business of sending people. God is in the business of putting out a call to action. But here's the problem. It is an internal, quiet call. God doesn't scream it to us. God doesn't blare a bullhorn in my ear. I wish there was a PA system in my house. Wouldn't that be nice? A little chime goes off. God's about to tell me something. The chime goes off. I go, what is it, Lord? And then the voice of God comes across, tells me what to do, and I do. Wouldn't that be easier? You know, when I was in the great country of Slovakia, Bense, where's your hand, Bense? Bense is with us. Our exchange student from Slovakia. Yeah, exchange student. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it up. Yeah. It's a junior in high school here. Be here all school year. When I was in his great city of Caymanin, my wife and I were in the house, and all of a sudden, we started hearing American music. We're like, what is that? Where is it coming from? And at one time, the communists were over Slovakia, and they would have 
light poles with speakers on the top of them. And the music started playing through these loudspeakers. And then we went out and we're like, what is this? We're listening to the music. And then something came across in Slovakia and then also in Hungarian. And we're fascinated, like, wow, what was that? And the funny part was it was something kind of like uh, Doris or Miss Millie just made some crocheted, some doilies are on sale down at the market. That was literally like the message that was translated to us. Like, wow, she must know somebody to put her voice on a whole town loudspeaker. Hurry up, go get your doilies now. And so they're like, wow. I said, what a great thing. If there's a, you know, word gets out, you know, there's bad weather, new life's got to cancel, music plays, you can step out of your house. Uh-huh, service is canceled today due to a blizzard. Well, that'd be cool or what? The communists had a good idea in that thing. We like to be well-informed, but let me tell you something. When it comes to God, God does not play music and then a loudspeaker declares what he wants us to do, right? God speaks to us, as the scripture says, in a still, small voice. Why does he do that? Why does he just blare the loudspeaker? He did it in the New Testament. Remember, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, he told the crowd. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when they're up there with Jesus and he's transfigured, and they start saying, well, is this Elijah? Is this Moses? Is the kingdom starting now? And remember, God spoke from heaven. And he said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Isn't it funny how he's like, quit talking, guys. Listen to what he has to say. Why does God just do that now? I believe the answer is because he wants us to train ourselves to listen to his spirit, to listen attentively, to recognize his voice, to pick it up when he's talking to us. Because the world is screaming loud in our ears. The world is blasting their loudspeaker and their belief system and how they, we think, they think we should be acting. And they're preaching loud to us their message. But God's like, listen, I'm not in competition in the world. I'm just going to speak quietly to you. And I want to know, are you going to listen to me? I want to know, will you tune me in or tune me out? It's just, and, you know, the way you're going to hear God is you have to be on the same frequency. It's like your radio, you know, if you're not on that station, you know what you're going to hear? A lot of static. Or you're going to hear a lot of gibberish, and you're like, what in the world is that? And you, got, you tune it in so you can hear it clearly. God wants us to be familiar with His voice. So familiar that when we hear the voice of God, we hear it, we're familiar with it, and we quickly respond to it. Because we say, you know what? I can discern the voice of God from the voice of Satan. I can discern the voice of God from the voice of me. You ever talk to yourself? Have you ever argued with yourself? Yes. I hate that when I win my own argument against myself. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. You know what I speak of. There is a lost talent which gets lost each generation as we get closer to the Lord's return. And that is the talent and the art of listening. To listening and recognizing and picking up and discerning, oh, that's God. That's God's Spirit telling me to do something. Ask me to say something. Prompting me to be still. Whatever it might be. That's God. I recognize His voice. You know, one day I learned an interesting lesson. We guys don't really know it that well. But the gals know it, especially the mamas. I was standing in the hallway near the nursery. It was actually quite a ways, probably from this wall to that wall from the nursery. And there was a group of moms that dropped off some babies. or little infants were down there, and they were talking to each other. Mom talk, I don't know what all that stuff is about, you know baby talk. So they're having a good talk there. And all of a sudden, one of the little kids down in the nursery cut loose on a whale. You know, there's, there's a difference between crying and wailing. You know what I mean? And all the moms are standing there. There's probably four or five. And one of them go, oh, that's mine. And here's the amazing thing that took place. None of the other moms argued with her. And I said, well, how do you know that's yours? 
How do you know it wasn't this one's or that one or this one's? And they go, oh, I, I know my kid when he cries. I know, I know that scream. I know that cry. I, 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 I know that's my child. And that mom responded, and all the other moms just carried on the conversation. They, they didn't even, they probably questioned whether, whose child it was that, because they knew it wasn't theirs. But you moms know, am I telling you the truth? Yeah, yeah, you recognize that cry. The dad stands there and goes, whose kid is wailing down there? I guess that'd be yours. Oops, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, but those moms know. Here is an interesting statement. You see, God wants us to be that mom that recognizes that voice of his. And Jesus, the one who gave his life for the church body, the one who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus spoke not to believe or unbelievers. Jesus spoke to believers. In the book of the Revelation, the third chapter, he'll speak to churches, churches, bodies of Christ, called out assemblies. And he's going to say this to them in Revelation 3, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. He didn't say that to the unbelievers. He's saying it to believers that have the Spirit of God in them, that have called out or a called out assembly, that are meeting together there in Laodicea, that are they're meeting in their church body. And the Lord says to them, Listen, if you got ears to hear, I want to know can you hear, can you discern what the Spirit of God has to say to you? Can you pick up the spiritual signal from him? Are you on the right channel? And that church of Laodicea is a church that pictures the church of the end times just before Christ returns. And more and more in our world, more and more in our country, churches are becoming more and more dull of hearing. And I'm not talking about hearing Tim. Tim's voice can get loud enough. I'm not talking about dull of hearing like me with the muzzle blast in this ear. Yes, I got a miracle ear. Sometimes I forget to take it off in the shower. Sometimes I lose it and I call out to myself to see if I can hear it. Where are you? Oh, I love that. When I lost me, he knew where to find me. I was like, that's, that's me. We could be dull of hearing. God's Spirit could be speaking to His church body, speaking to individuals, and, and we don't hear Him. We're preoccupied with all the other noise in our mind, and we're all other thinking, and God says, can you hear me? I'm trying to speak to you. I want you to do this. I want you to go and encourage that person. I want you to say a kind word to them. I want you to go greet them. Can you hear what I have to say? Do we hear the voice of God anymore? Do we hear Him when He asks us to do something? Do we hear Him when He asks us to say something? Do we hear Him when He asks us to go somewhere? Maybe when He just says, be still. Listen, God is a God of encouragement, right? He wants to pour out His encouragement on people. In order to do that, he pours it through people. If he can get it through you, he will give it to you. And that, like I, if you say, but I'm not an encouraging type person. I, I don't know what to say to that person. You don't have to be. It's not you doing it in your own strength. It's you saying, Lord, I'm willing to be. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be. I'm, you know, by nature, I'm, I'm the porcupine, you know. Even porcupines need to be hugged, Right? This is my nature because I know, but Tim, I don't want you to go by your nature. I want you to go by my nature. And it's my nature to be encouraging to people. And are you willing to say a kind word? Are you willing to let me put this through you to them? And if he says, yes, I'm willing to do it. Yes, I'm willing to do it. Sometimes I said, okay, then just go say this. And sometimes I said, okay, I just wanted to know if you're willing. 
It's amazing how much we will fight the Lord because we're afraid he's going to ask us to do something that we're afraid of. And we, we're not willing. But he, we fight him, not even realize, he just wants to know, are you willing to do it? Or do you say, no, not me, Lord. How about somebody else? Get somebody that's outgoing. I'm not that person, he said. The Lord wanted to pour out his grace on Paul and company, so the word traveled 150 miles. And I'm sure there was many people that heard about Paul and company arriving at Naples. I'm sure many of them heard it. But there were some that heard a voice in their heart that said, Go to him. Leave now. Don't wait for him to come to you at Rome. I want you to go to see him on his way here. I want you to go intersect his path 55 miles. They didn't even know where they're going to meet him. He just said, will you go and go encourage him? Will you go and let me use you? Will you go to him or are you going to wait for him to come to us? Listen, friends, this is one of the things God's been laying on my heart lately. And that's designating an area for not only our seniors, but also for our visitors, our guests that come. Where they could have an area where they could say, you know what, you are our guest. But also not waiting for them just to come to our door, but to go out them and greet them and say, Hi, I know it's scary between your car and that door, but I'm here to encourage you to say, It's not that bad. They don't bite that hard. They're pretty good. Just watch out for that one quadrant. Words of encouragement, however that comes out. But the idea is, they didn't wait for Paul to get to Rome. Because once he got to Rome, there were so many things that were going to take place. He said, No, are you willing to go to Paul? Are you willing to go to him, or are you just going to wait with the others for him to come to you? You see, Jesus warned the church of the day. He said, do not be dull of hearing. There is a call to action, and you hear it, I hear it every time the Lord speaks our heart to do something. Do you recognize his voice so quick? They say, you know what? That's the Lord. And that leads not only to the call, but also to the response. You see, the scripture said there in verse 15, when they heard, they came. When they heard, they came. Many heard, but not many came. Others heard, but not everybody came. The word heard is okuo. Okuo. O-K-O-U-O. You shouldn't be allowed to make a word with that many vowels in it. Okuo? Couldn't you just say that with like O-K-O? O-K-O-U-O. Okuo. What's interesting about this word, it means this. To hear in a manner that invokes or stirs action. To hear in a manner that invokes or stirs action. It is in contrast to the other usage, which is to hear in a manner that invokes curiosity. You see a difference? One, you hear invokes curiosity. Think of those moms that were in the hallway. Five moms are in the hallway. The child screams, starts yelling or whatever. For those moms, it invoked curiosity. I wonder whose kid that is. Yeah. Perfect timing. The other mom, it invoked action. You see the difference? One, it set off action. It said, I need to respond to that, and off the mom went. The others, it invoked curiosity. I wonder where that noise came from, I think. God said, this word here, when he called them to go forth, he said, I want to call you. I am speaking to you. And they heard in a manner. So it's not in how it was spoken. It was how it was heard. They heard in a manner that invoked action in them. It was probably spoken in a manner to invoke action. It was because it invoked the action. But it was. this is not about how it was spoken. It was about how it was received. And they heard it in a manner that invoked action and they took action. My question is, are we moved when we hear the plight of others? Are we moved when we hear the voice of God? Or do we love that song, I shall not be moved? I shall not be, I shall not. It applies in some ways, but not in all ways. Does God's voice fall on deaf ears or does God's voice fall on willing ears? Willing to do it, even if it's out of your comfort zone. It's amazing that God saw to it that the news of their arrival traveled 150 miles and landed on ears that were ready and willing to be stirred to action. He knew exactly who needed to hear it. You know, when I was 
sleeping, I don't know, it was Friday or Saturday. Just before I, you know, the Lord speaks to me. Sometimes he speaks through dreams. Sometimes he just speaks to me when I'm sleeping. And I always know when it's him. It's the amazing part. And it's actually a little discouraging this past year or so because I'm like, what? Because Scripture says young men see visions in the old, in the last days, young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. Come on, Lord. Can you see a vision? No, you're in, if I just showed you a vision, you'd fall asleep anyway, so I'll talk to you in your dreams. And so he does. And it was interesting, before I woke up the other morning, this sequence of words were going through my mind. And the sequence of words were things that precede death of all things. Matter of fact, when I woke up, I even forgot that I, that I had this going through my mind. So I sat down, it was quiet, with a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden they came back to me again. I said, oh, yeah. This is what the Lord's Spirit was showing me, what precedes the death of a church. Remember in Laodicea, remember in the book of Revelation, these are churches. He's like, hey, listen, you're going to go and remove your candlestick. you got to listen what the Spirit of God has to say. And these words that kept coming to my mind, this pattern, was this pattern here. He said, dormancy leads to complacency. Complacency leads to apathy. Apathy leads to death. Have you ever visited a dead church? Where the spirits left and you're like, oh, okay. I wonder if anybody told these people. I mean, have you ever, have you ever read the book of Ezekiel? Have you ever read it? You should read it. Get your Bible, open it up, or turn it on, however you do it. Read the book. God's Spirit is in the temple. It's a Shekinah glory. God's Spirit was behind the veil in the temple in the Holy of Holies. On the other side was the holy place. And the people weren't hearing the voice of God anymore. It's almost like the Spirit pulled the curtain open. It's like, well, I guess I'll leave. And the Spirit leaves the temple crosses the Temple Mount, down in the Kidron Valley, over to the Mount of Olives, and ascends into heaven. And the Scripture says, for the glory has departed. It's gone. And he says, write Ichabod over it, because the Spirit is gone. You know what the amazing part is? No one told the people. Well, Ezekiel did. But they went on for 400 years. Like, huh, something's missing here. And for 400 years, God was silent. 400 years. The glory went down the valley, over the Mount of Olives, ascended into heaven, the glory departed. By the way, do you remember when they heard of Jesus' birth and said the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He said the glory of God is back. Right? And do you remember what the glory of God did? The glory of God went in the temple the week before the crucifixion, kicked over the tables because they weren't hearing him. And the glory of God left the temple or the Palm Sunday. The glory of God went to Calvary. The glory of God went to the Kidron Valley. The glory of God went to the Mount of Olives. And the glory of God ascended up in heaven. Right? The glory of God is in heaven. And now he says, but when I go there, he'll send his spirit here to dwell inside you. You and I are being transformed glory unto glory each day through the power of His Spirit in us. True? So the Spirit of God wants to take the graces of God and get them to us so He can get them through us to get to others. And when we say, no, not me, no, not that, no, not this, or I'm sorry, what did you say? When we reach the point where we need spiritual hearing aids, Miracle ears for sure. And we, we're in trouble. He wants us to be at a place where when he speaks and asks us, we recognize that's God and we respond immediately. Let me tell you about a problem I have. I'm sure you don't, but I know I do. When God asks me to do something, and I know what he does. When he says, hey, go talk to that person. Oh, oh, that person? They don't look very friendly. <laughs> Just send me to friendly people. <laughs> send me to people who are just standing there going, will someone come tell me about Jesus? 
if they're out there, I want to send me to that person. Here's what happens. When he tells me to do something and I think about it, the more I think about it, the less likely I am to do it. Am I a miserable Christian or what? The more I analyze it, well, I'm not sure if that person is going to be really receptive to what I have to say. The more I analyze it, the more I think about it, the more I put it off, the more time I put between his speaking to me and the action that needs to get done, the more time I put between it, the less likely it is to get done. You could say, shame on you, Tim. Yeah, well, that's how I am. I'm trying to get better at this. To where when God says something, I say, just like Samuel, here I am, Lord, send me. What do you need? You're serving here, Lord. Speak. I, I, I recognize this is your voice. What do you want me to do? Churches across our country. The Spirit of God, I know, speaks to believers. I know He does. And you say, well, I've never heard God's voice speak to me. Yes, you have. You may not have recognized this, this His voice. You may have thought it was your own voice. You may have thought it was your wife's voice. Very similar. Because I didn't recognize, but he spoke to you. When we hear the Spirit of God and we do not respond to it, when he speaks, dormancy sets in. God bless you. We become dormant. Remember, dormant. I break it down. Dormancy means a period where physical activity is temporarily stopped, often it's closely associated with surrounding conditions. In other words, it's starting to get winter time, and the bear says, it's winter time, I think I will go dormant now. And he goes into hibernation. Winter comes, the seed goes dormant during the, the frost and so forth. This is the idea of dormancy, to go to a place of inactivity. Complacency. This is what I thought. Interesting how the Lord says, dormancy leads to complacency. Complacency means this, a smug satisfaction with oneself or one's achievement. A smug satisfaction with oneself or one's achievement. Where I'm at. I'm okay. We're at a good place. Do you remember that church of Laodicea that he said, uh, he who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit of God has to say. And you remember what they said? Oh, we are wealthy. We have everything. We have need of nothing. You remember that? And I'm like, wow, there it is. This voice spoke to them. They went dormant. When dormancy set in, complacency set in. They said, we have need another. We're doing fine. And the Lord says, you don't even know you're poor, wretched, and naked. He goes, oh, you're, you're in a bad place. When we see this word complacency, it's when we say there's no more room for improvement. There's no more need for God to do whatever. We're, we're in a good place. You know what? We, we have 257 chairs. There's 258 people. We're good. We're full. Yeah. Hey, we're done. Is that what it is? That's complacency. It says we're done. We're good. No, God says, no, we're not. The kingdom is still expanding. Amen. And there's still souls to reach. But complacency says no need. Then apathy says, apathy is without pathos, emotions. It means indifferent. So you don't care one way or the other. I don't care. Doesn't care one way, doesn't care the other. When God speaks to us, like the church of Laodicea, and we hear his voice and we go into a state of neutral, dormancy. Before you know it, we'll enter a state of complacency. So we're just fine, we're good, we're good where we're at. Don't move us past here, we're good. And then when complacency has its way, we then enter a position of apathy, where we just don't care. And then when apathy has its way, then we enter a place of death dead. We may still exist, just like Israel still went through the religious motions, but you know what? There was no life there. I don't know about you, but we don't want to be a dead church. Amen? Amen. We want to have life. Here's, a, here's the craziest thing about life. Life begets life. Life likes to hang out with life. Life doesn't like to hang out with death, right? I mean, come on now. Friday night, you're looking for something to do. You're not going to say, hey, honey, what do you think? Let's go down and sit in the cemetery for a while. I don't want to sit with all those stiffs. No, you, you want to go where the life is. You want to go where the reaction is. You want to take it into, you know, Mission Impossible, right? It's pretty good. You know how it ends? I told my friend the ending. Dun, 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 dun. That's how it ends. 
It's like, awesome. Listen, life begets life. Death begets death. I want to be a church of life. I want to be a church that hears the voice of God. I want to be a church where God's Spirit moves in such a way that you can see the impact of our action. That's what I want to see. You want, we want to see the impact of our action. And let me tell you something. Pastor Corey and the team, they crushed it this weekend down there. Didn't they do it? That was like, man, that was awesome. All the churches pulled together, man, and, and, and there was a great community turnout. I, I saw Dr. Hammock and I, the school superintendent. I said, thank you for letting us use this parking lot. And she goes, thank me? Are you kidding me? Thank you. This is incredible. If you guys didn't spirit this, this never would have happened. She goes, I am so blessed to see all these people here at our church campus, our school campus. He goes, this blesses my heart. She, is, she was just gushing with appreciation. And I'll tell you what, they knocked it out of the ballpark yesterday. It was great. It was awesome. God wants us to make an impact in our community, in our surrounding, in our workplace. And that's what happened because of their action. We don't even know who they were. But they heard the call. They were moved to immediate action. They went 55 miles down to meet Paul where he was at. And Paul said, the minute I saw them, he said, I did two things. The scripture said, he thanked God. Praise went to the Lord because he knew the Lord was the one that sent them. He poured his grace of encouragement through them to Paul. He said, man, this is a God thing. This is a God thing to have anybody walk 55 miles over hill and dale and mountains and rivers and all that fun stuff to have them come this far from me. He goes, man, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And this is the second thing that was just amazing. It says, he thanked God and he took courage. What's amazing about this word, you see courage in English a couple times in Scripture, but you know what? The Greek word tharsos, T-H-A-R-S-O-S. Remember, S-O-S is safe, tharsos. The Greek word tharsos, it means to be infused with courage. In other words, somebody is doing the infusion. Somebody is putting this into you to be infused with courage. We use the word encouraged. Well, what's amazing about this word is this word, it is the only place in the entire Bible that is used. Nowhere else. You will not find this word anywhere else in the New Testament, nor in the Greek Septuagint in this context. Here he said, only time. He said, I saw them, and I praised God, and I was tharsosed. I took courage. Why is that amazing to me? Because it's hard for me to believe that Paul needed courage. After all, he's Paul. If God asked me in Rome to go encourage Paul, I go, Paul? The great apostle Paul? And a little puny Tim to go encourage him? I said, what? But God used these people because you know what? Here's something that God knew that they didn't know. God knew Paul needed an infusion of courage. And he said, and I know some people in Rome who are really good at this. He said, so I'm going to use them and move them 55 miles down there. And when they, when Paul sees them, all of a sudden Paul can say, thank you, Jesus. And he's just going to soak in that infusion of courage. Paul needed it. I look and I say, man, Paul's a pillar of power. I mean, really? He just weathered a hurricane. He had sailors about to have mutiny and go overboard, and he calms them. He had soldiers about to, to put a sword through him, and, and the Lord stops him. He had a viper bite on his hand. He's like, oh, viper on the hand. Shakes it off into the fire, calm, cool, and collective Paul. I'm like, wow. And he needs courage? I freak out if I step in a worm. I'm like, oh, what was that? You know? He's like, oh, vipers on my hand. No one would have guessed that underneath that strong demeanor of Paul was a heart that needed an infusion of courage because he was about to do something that demanded courage. Because he was about to go to Rome and stand before Caesar. That's why God got to him. You know, three quarters of the way to Rome, God got to him. said, okay, you're going to need this now. 
he knows that he's going to stand before the ruler of the Roman Empire who can give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And his guys knew just what that meant. He knew that he was going to stand in court in a very near future. And he is going to testify. He will not testify of his own innocence. He is going to testify of this. He is going to tell the leader of the Roman Empire that there is a man named Jesus whom the Roman Empire nailed to a Roman cross and killed him and buried him. But that person is alive today. And he's going to tell Caesar that he is alive and he is saving souls from heaven even this day. He's going to tell them about salvation. He's going to tell them about a risen Savior. He is going to tell them that what they did did not work. That's going to need some courage. It wasn't that Paul was afraid that he wasn't going to do it. He didn't need courage because of that. Paul needed courage because he knew he was going to do it. He knew he was. He was determined. I'm going to do this. I am going to go. I am going to testify. I am going to do what God called me to do. I am going through with this. And God knows that the only way to overcome the fear, God bless you, the only way to overcome a fear is through faith. Not necessarily just, it's not the courage thing. It's the faith. The infusion of courage gave Paul the faith to know God's in this. That's why God sent them. God's already in Rome. That's awesome. I'm almost there. You see, friends, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the presence of faith. It's faith that will go past that fear. It's faith that will push past it. Faith that will move beyond it. Faith that says, I don't care if the fear's here. It's faith that controls our fear, and it's not the absence of fear. I always have fear when I go to witness to somebody. I'm telling you that. There's always a, ah, I don't know about this. And yet my faith has got to overcome. I'm not going to let my fear control me because God did not give me the spirit of fear. That spirit did not come from God. So I need my faith in God that his spirit will help me overcome and control that, that fear spirit. You see, Paul needed that infusion. And God knew it. And God sent people to infuse it with courage. First Thessalonians 5.11, Paul said, Therefore, encourage one another and build them up. Are your words, do your words build people up? Or do they tear people down? I'm not going to get into what I, someone told me right after the first service. I'm like, whoa, wow, did you just hear my message? <laughs> wow. I mean, really, here's your life back, you know. Wow. I said, yeah, wow, that's kind of weird. Is that a veiled threat or no? No, no veil here. Um, yeah. It's like, wow. Oh, that's Okay. You know why it's okay? Because God's working. Amen? God's working. God's moving. I'm moving with Him. I say, oh, yay, God. We will hear the voice of God, and we will keep moving and serving Jesus. Amen? Because we want life. Yeah. That's a baby amen, by the way, for those who are wondering. Is that? They say hallelujah and amen. It's like perfectly on cue. But that's what I want to be. I want to be an encourager. I want to be the Pee Wee Reese that goes out to, to tell Reggie Jackson, you could do this. Matter of fact, I can already see you in the Hall of Fame. I'm sure Reggie couldn't see himself in the Hall of Fame. And yet, this guy could. Wow. I remember later in life when he was inducted, he said, that guy saved my life. Saved my career. You never know the impact what God will do in and through you. Because if he can get it through you, he will get it to you. Amen? Father, we bless you. We love you. We thank you. And you are such a great God. You're such an encouraging God. And thank you for just speaking into our lives as we close our service. Lord, maybe there's someone here today that needs encouragement. Maybe there's someone here today that they haven't been saved yet. And they would like to be saved today. They would like to know what it means to have eternal life. To be forever forgiven in Jesus. Father, speak to them. Draw them today to your cross, to your Son, by your Spirit. There may be others today that they just need healing. Maybe they're discouraged. They need encouragement. Father, we want to infuse them with courage. Help us to do that. 
Help them, Father, as they respond, to just come and bring it to you, whatever the need. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me as we close. Listen, folks are going to be here to pray. You come. Come right now. You need prayer for something. You need healing. You need help. You need a job. You need whatever. You need strength in your marriage. You need finance. Whatever it is. God is a gracious God. You come. He is a generous God. People will be here to pray for you. You come. You come. What's your need today? Let us pray for you. Yes. Others are coming. Let the Lord speak to you today. Maybe you need to lay it at the altar. Lay it down. Lay it down. God speaking today. You come. Folks here to pray with you and for you. Yes. Others are coming. Come. Come.